I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. Hey everyone and welcome to Pixels. In this show we cover the news from the video games industry and we talk about what's been happening in the gaming world and hopefully we have a good time together doing that. My name is Patrick Beja. Today it's going to be a Patrick-only episode because I'm traveling and uh, scheduling is a little bit complicated. I'm in Paris right now. By the way, if you want to hear thoughts about uh, what's happening here with the yellow vests, you can go check out the Phileas Club, which is another show I do, also at frenchspin.com. Check out the latest episode. And if you're a patron, by the way, I also did uh, an editorial, 20-ish minutes editorial, where I go into details about all of this. Uh, but anyway, this is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about games, and we're going to be talking about the Epic Game Store, the Game Awards, um, and a bunch of other things that have been happening over the past couple of weeks. And let's start uh, right now. Uh, now, obviously, the biggest uh, event was the Game Awards, which are, for lack of a better comparison, the uh, Oscars of uh, the gaming world. I'm, I'm going to be talking about this in just a little bit. But before that, I do want to talk about the Epic Game Store, which bled into the Game Awards because it was everywhere, and for good reason. Um, the Epic Game Store was announced last week a couple of days after a change to the Valve Game Store, um, the way the Valve Game Store distributes money for the developers that use it. Uh, until now, it had been 30% of all revenue going to Valve, um, with Steam. And uh, going forward, actually starting with the month of October, I believe, um, the standard will be 30%. But if you rack in a lot of money, um, the, that, that cut is going to diminish. So if you make 10 to $50 million, the cut goes down to 25%. And if you make over $50 million, the cut goes down to 20%. Now, 20, uh, $50 million is like a handful of games in the history of the platform. So that doesn't apply to a lot of people. But 25% is, uh, might happen for a, a larger amount of uh, developers and publishers. And that was kind of an interesting change, uh, Valve showing that the 30% for everything model that uh, is kind of prevalent on every store, uh, whether it's you know games on PCs or on consoles with PSN and the Xbox Store or on mobile, uh, that model might be coming under pressure. And boy, did it come under pressure a couple of days later when Epic, uh, on the back of Fortnite, of Fortnite's success, announced they were launching their own game store with a standard cut of 12% for everyone. Everything is... You know, uh, every game that sells, every um, amount of money that is spent, Epic is going to take just 12%, which is in line with what they were doing with their Unreal Engine. Uh, they made that change a few month, months ago and severely undercuts the uh, amount that uh, Valve is, is taking. So this is competition at its best. And what's interesting is that it it's, wasn't the first com competitor that Valve had to face. Of course, none of them was uh, as uh, mighty as Epic. Let's remember that they have 200 million players playing Fortnite. Uh, not concurrently, but they have 200 million accounts. Of course, not all of those are on PC. 
Uh, it's about, I think, 40 or 50 million on PC. But that's a lot of people that already have to essentially install the Epic Launcher, which is transforming into a store. Not only that, but they are also giving away a game every 15 days, every couple of weeks. Now, it's not 100% clear that that game um, they're giving away is going to be given away forever or if you can play it for those two weeks. The first one is Subnautica, uh, Subnautica, which is one of the most celebrated game of this year. It's one of the best games of this year, um, and they're giving it away for free. Uh, Meat Boy is going to be Super Meat Boy uh, is going to be the next one towards the end of the month. Um, Subnautica is not yet available, but you know whether you get to keep it or just play it for two weeks, it's uh, not something you get on Steam at all. So that's significant. And, um, of course, as I mentioned, Steam did see pressure, Valve did see pressure from other stores, um, the good old game store, and that was, you know, HIO and uh, a bunch of others, which weren't very threatening. Um, but Discord recently launched their store, and I think that was potentially over time, uh, uh, I think this is what they were responding to when they lowered uh, the the cut for big selling games. This and of course the the idea that uh, publishers and developers that are big enough were uh, building their own stores, uh, storefronts, and trying to own the relationship they had with their customers. So that is, I think, what they were responding to. Uh, the Epic Store with its twelve percent cut is <laughs> kind of throwing a wrench in their plans and in their <laughs> Steam engine. And uh, they, that is, I don't think, something they saw coming. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that every single developer from one day to the next is going to jump ship on Steam and go to the Epic launcher. Uh, Steam still has a lot of, um, a lot of uh, uh, accounts and a lot of market share and visibility, but it could go really fast for Epic, uh, Epic Store to become a viable alternative. Actually, uh, it, went, it already went really fast because we've seen many different games being available on the Steam Store, uh, I'm sorry, on the Epic Store uh, alone when they were announced or, or uh, uh, their release dates were announced on the Game Awards. So... Epic was planning this and, and trying to show that uh, the game is viable and is an alternative. I think it kind of already is, especially because many people essentially have it installed already because of Fortnite. So I'm wondering if all that money they raised, I think there's still some that is going to be uh, dedicated to... Uh, if you don't remember, about a month ago or a couple of months ago, they, it was announced that uh, Epic raised an insane amount of money. And uh, I speculated that they would be building multiple studios for multiple uh, game developments to start. And I mean, that, I still think that is happening because they want to prepare the after Fortnite in case that game doesn't last for 15 years. But it's likely they're investing in the infrastructure for, for this as well. And this can go really fast. And, and they know how to scale things. So, um, oh, and on top of that, they have uh, Sergei Galyonkin, who works for them, who was the guy behind Steam Spy, which recently was made an, uh, an, an operable because of changes in the Steam API. But... During years, the years that he was operating it, he gained very, very precious insight, I suspect, into uh, what developers want and need and how that works. So his insight is probably going to help Epic uh, create the kind of store and services and focus on what the developers need. So anyway, uh, the, Steam, the, the, the Epic Store is... I think already arguably a decent alternative to the, the Steam store. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are going to start installing it in the next, let's say, three months, three to six months. And we'll have to revisit this, but it's just everything is perfect for the Epic Store to be uh, finally the competitor to Steam that we were kind of hoping for, I guess. Competition is good. Um, 
And I understand people don't want 15 stores on their uh, installed app stores installed. Well, not actually, they are kind of um, 15 different uh, storefronts to, ha to have to install on their computers. But I, we, we're kind of used to it now and it doesn't matter as much. And uh, these, this is a different one from all the other ones. And it might be, I think people are going to need the Steam Store and the Epic Store pretty soon. All right, so that's it for my spiel on the Epic Store. And now let's move on to the Game Awards, which was, you know, I think it was a pretty successful event. Um, it's always been a little bit awkward, a little bit uh, try-hardy, uh, trying to be like the Oscars, but not really, but we're gamers. And I think this year is the first time that they kind of succeeded uh, in finding the right balance. I, I think Jeff Keighley was, didn't have as much pressure, maybe not pressure, but at least as much to prove as he did in previous years. This is with the, the fifth year they're doing it. And, uh, and there were a few significant moments and significant events um, I think maybe the absence of the PlayStation Experience show gave uh, the Game Awards a little bit more to announce and showcase. Uh, and there was this moment in the beginning where he managed to get uh, Regis Fissime, Sean Layden, and Phil Spencer together on stage to open uh, the ceremony. So if you don't know, those are the presidents of uh, Nintendo of America. Um, Sean Layden, I believe, is uh, Sony of America. If Yeah, Sony uh, Entertainment uh, and uh, Computer Entertainment. And Phil Spencer is the head of Xbox Global. So this is a very significant moment. And uh, I wonder how he managed to get all of them together. I think... He might have easily convinced uh, Regis Fissime from Nintendo to, to show up because they have a relationship and they have always collaborated on these things. Phil Spencer is, of course, looking to uh, get as much visibility for the Xbox brand as possible um, in their reforming of that brand. So he had two. And at that point, you're like, Sean, uh, you could not come, but you're going to be missing. Like, you know, everyone's going to notice you're not there. And, and at that point, I think, Layden has to say, yes, okay, I'll do it, to be the good guy and not the outsider once again. Um, he has enough problems with issues of uh, cross-play and, and uh, the fact that they're not doing, they're not at E3 next year, they're not doing the PlayStation Experience show. So if he hadn't been there, it would have started to look I don't, maybe suspicious. Maybe that's a good way of putting it. Um, I think there was a significant amount of inclusion conversations in the in the show, um, which was you know light enough and uh, re uh, appropriate enough and and still nice to see. It was you know uh, about women, minorities, disabled people, etc. Uh, and I don't want to. I don't think you know the irony of this thing is that the awards are almost what matters the least in the in the entire thing. Um, the, of course, exception made of the Game of the Year awards, which I'm going to get to. Um, there, there is one that was significant, I think, that, that kind of um, stood above the others, which was the best esports fighter, um, which Sonic Fox got. He's a fighting game uh, pro. And for those who don't know, he's black, gay, and a furry, or at least... He claims to be a furry. I guess he has a giant furry uh, costume when he's walking around um, but um, at, at the competitions and at this show. But he's very exuberant, very proud of everything he is. And uh, he really doesn't give a crap about what people think. So that was kind of refreshing to see uh, in, in, an era, in an era and maybe even industry where... Um, these kinds of things are immediately often, you know, put down by uh, people who think about justice warrioring and uh, uh, imposing, you know, it gets political. But here it didn't really. And I think that was nice. I didn't see anything 
in any article or comment. I'm sure there were, you know, some recess of the internet where people just don't like the guy, but he's so cheerful and happy and, and proud. And uh, he just seems like a fun person. And so it's kind of hard to delve into political stuff when he's just there and, and being happy and, uh, and just affirming who he is. So I don't know. That was a, a, a nice, between everything, the show, you know, even going beyond the, the, question of inclusion, which I'm mentioning because it's kind of a thing I, I care about, but it wasn't uh, obnoxious in the show. It was just light touches that felt appropriate. And the show itself was had nice moments. It wasn't like there were huge spikes of incredibleness, maybe apart from the, the, the all three CEOs of those companies together on stage, which was kind of an unprecedented. Uh, but beyond that, there wasn't anything that was incredible, but there were fun reveals and fun little moments. The writing on the award speeches or rather the award announcements were kind of funny for most of them. And uh, it felt like it didn't try, as I said before, too hard to be the Oscars. It was just one ceremony, which is probably now regarded as uh, the the most important one, um, or the most the one with the most authority, but it's not like it's the only one. I think everyone in the industry understands that it's not like the Oscars in the sense that um, maybe you look at it, but in the movie industry there are maybe two or three or four award shows or maybe five that that are important. In the gaming industry, you have everyone has their own. Uh, uh, you know, top games of the year show and event and whatever. Hell, even this show next episode is probably going to be is going to be the uh, game of the, games of the year discussion. And we also understand that everyone's. I think maybe in recent years um, we've come to understand that everyone's opinion is valid. It's not like whoever says this game is the best one of the year means it as a universal value that you cannot disagree with. Uh, we often joke about people disliking or arguing about something and wanting to convince everyone else that this is, quote-unquote, the truth. Um, but I think in, in recent years, that has kind of disappeared, at least for the conversation about games of the year. Um, and, and sure, you might be unhappy or might think that one game doesn't deserve to be on the list or whatever. But I still think that most people understand have a reasonable understanding of the fact that you know this is my personal favorite game of the year not necessarily the one that everyone should agree is the objectively best title that came out so the the game awards are one of the uh, events probably the most important the most visible one um, but only one of those. And given that understanding, I think everyone goes there in good spirit. It's the most glamorous one. It's the most high, uh, uh, maybe not highbrow. That's not the word I'm looking for, but high class one. Everyone's in a tux and, and gala dress and stuff like that. So that's kind of fun as well. Um, so yeah, overall, what I'm trying to say is the Game Awards were really cool. I think uh, they are what they ought to be. And uh, again, it's I say that every year with a little bit of a caveat, but I think this year, uh, Jeff Keighley has achieved something really special. Um, or maybe special is not the right word, but really significant. He's achieved something difficult, at least, um, because it wasn't a given that he could pull it off. And already, five years later, it's kind of established that this is the one uh, that people look forward to, and it's kind of the event. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a good time, fun time. And uh, something I didn't even mention yet, well, kind of, there were lots of announcements. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the game of the year before I go into the announcements. Uh, you probably already know, the game of the year is, uh, for them, is God of War. And not, like many people expected, um, Red Dead Redemption 2. Red Dead did get a few awards. It might even be the one that got the most awards, but it, I think the, um, some of it, its aspects are unquestionably um, achievements. So I don't think anyone cares too much about that or, or disagrees with that. But the game of the year, as uh, I suspected and kind of predicted 
wasn't Red Dead Redemption 2, even though I think if you had asked everyone at the beginning of the year which one it was going to be, myself included, I would have said, yeah, Red Dead Redemption 2, obviously. So uh, yeah, it's it's many faults, I think, made it un- not the game of the year. It's probably, you know, one of the uh, top game of the year still, but God of War won. And I think there's something significant about the fact that it's a, a console exclusive, that one. Um, of course, the method of selecting and voting for it is not completely open. It's not like the um, uh, Oscars where the entire um, academy votes. So essentially anyone who is part of the industry, a significant person in the industry will vote. It's thousands and thousands of votes. Here, it's still a committee that votes uh, within a selection that is, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's the process, um, it, within a selection that's uh, done by the community. So it's still a committee of maybe 20, 25 game journalists who vote. And um, so it's a little bit of a different process. But again, I don't think anyone would reasonably say God of War is absolutely undeserving of a Game of the Year title. I think most people would agree it's a pretty good game, a pretty well-realized game, a pretty significant artistic achievement, etc., etc., etc. So, um, yeah, I was pretty happy with that um, with that uh, um, result. I'm sure other people would have other games they would think of as Game of the Year, but again, as I said, that's fine. Everyone agrees this is not the absolute value of Games of the Year. So, God of War, and not... Red Dead Redemption 2. I thought that was uh, that was a, a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting thing that happened. And the other part of the show, of course, is all of the announcements, all of the game announcements. Some of them we kind of kind of leaked a little bit early. Uh, some of them didn't. One that didn't. I'm going to talk about maybe five of them, which I thought were uh, really interesting. Of course, there were more, many more, and you might uh, have enjoyed others. But uh, the Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 is a game that is coming in 2019 on the Switch. And uh, that was completely unexpected. And, and when I say on Switch, it's exclusive on Switch. Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance is kind of an action, not RPG. If you take out the RPG... A part of the action RPG games. <laughs> you get an action game, I suppose. Um, it, it looks a little bit like Diablo. Personally, I didn't play any of the previous Marvel Ultimate Alliance games, but apparently they were pretty good and pretty well regarded. And the third one is going to be on Switch. It makes sense, uh, I guess, because it's kind of an ad- adaptation of the previous ones. Um, and uh, it's, of course, brought to today's Marvel Cinematic Universe uh Flavor with characters from the from the entire Marvel roster, so things like the X Men, etc., will be in it as well. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a Marvel zombie, as people say. I really like uh, that universe, so I, I'd love to see a uh, an action game uh, like that. And and the previous ones, I think, were released in uh, a good while ago. It's been years since we've seen Marvel Ultimate Alliance games, so. That should be fun. Um, The second one I want to mention is Far Cry New Dawn, um, which had been leaked a little bit a few days before. It's coming out February 2019. And spoiler for Far Cry 5, I suppose, but uh, now, you know, the game has been out for a while and it doesn't really matter all that much. But essentially, apparently, I haven't played through to the end, but uh, at the end of Far Cry 5, uh, go forward 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it, the uh, uh, nuclear apocalypse happens. And uh, Far Cry New Dawn takes place after that in a post-apocalyptic world. Um, why not? You know, I think it, it's an interesting setting. Uh, the, we'll have to see how much they work and change on the Far Cry formula. It's only been a year since the game came out, right? Far Cry 5 was 18. Um, I'm, I'm, now I'm not sure. Was it 2017 already? No, it was 2018. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, I would love for them to change the formula a little bit like they did for Assassin's Creed, but maybe that's not going to happen with this um, episode. Another one uh, worth mentioning, I think, is Ancestors, the Humankind Odyssey, which is going to be coming out in 2019 as well. Um, 
That is by the, I apologize, I forgot the name of the dude who was behind Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the first one, or he had a role in that, significant role in that team. Um, but that game basically puts you in the skin of uh, proto-humans, you know? It's uh, um, primates from, what was it, like a hundred a million year ago, 10 million years ago, up to uh, a, a million, a uh, hundred thousand years ago, something like that. And you have to go through the different stages of uh, evolution and you have to kind of acquire things that you pass on to your offsprings, 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 offsprings. You know, it's, it's counted in millions of years. So the concept is interesting. Um, there's something interesting i think about exploring um pre prehistoric prehistoric times in the lineage of uh homo sapiens so that's something to look forward to um another one is crash team racing remaster which is the crash bandicoot racing game which is essentially mario kart and i think everyone thought we don't want or need this game but the remaster seems really well done which means essentially it's a mario kart on the playstation which all of a sudden everyone thinks yeah it could be pretty cool so um that was nice and uh, i'm not sure i'm gonna have time to play it but i think it's a game that people will enjoy more than they would have thought they would they would um, the Outer Worlds is also a significant game. It's the Obsidian um, post-apocalyptic. It's essentially Fallout uh, by the guys who made the original Fallout. And we, we were wondering if it was going to be a top-down game, very core, you know, hardcore, old nostalgia type thing. But it turns out it isn't. It is a first-person thing, and it's an RPG in the vein of uh, those old games. But So it's, it will be interesting to see Obsidian's take on the successor of Fallout in a 3D world, um, on basically the original creators of Fallout. And it looked interesting enough. Uh, it seemed like something I might be more interested in than the actual Fallout games in 3D. It seemed like, I mean, we've only seen a very short um, trailer, but it seemed like something um, a little bit more approachable. Uh, now, of course, we don't know what it actually is. It might end up <clears throat> not being approachable at all, but um, it, was, it was interesting to see. Um, Dauntless got a date of April 2019. That's, we can whatever, <laughs> not whatever, but it, there are many games to go through. Um, the Pathless looks interesting. It's the giant squid, the studio behind Abzu. Um, it's very artistic game. It's coming out in 2019 as well. Uh, big surprise, Mortal Kombat 11 is coming out April 23rd. So um, I think it was time for a new Mortal Kombat game to come out, but uh, we didn't see it leaked or anything. So that was, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and by the way, Mortal Kombat 10 is coming, is joining the uh, Game Pass um, offer in, in, what is it, pretty soon. Um, and, and Spencer, Phil Spencer mentioned in an interview that uh, Game Pass, he would like it to be on every device. So Microsoft is definitely thinking about Game Pass as a service that is divorced almost from the Xbox uh, than as a, an additional thing for Xbox owners. So, of course, once you have streaming technology and that it works, uh, you can have Xbox on everything. Which, again, I didn't mention it, but that also puts pressure on Steam um, in that people uh, or developers can easily um, not care about where the customers are and reach them directly. Um, and that is the case for, you know, PlayStation and, and Nintendo and um, and Microsoft, because if you all you need is to download a tiny app and you get everything the developer has to offer, then who cares where people actually go shop? You kind of create a store in front of their eyes when they need it. Of course, it's not as simple as that. As simple as that, uh, the big stores still have a lot of uh, of uh, uh, I mind share, 
But still, it, it sort of diminishes the importance of that. Anyway, Mortal Kombat 10 will be on Game Pass soon, and Mortal Kombat 11 is coming out next year on uh, April 11. And finally, the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the surprise announcement that the first character from the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Season Pass is going to be Joker from uh, Persona 5. And that was also a kind of a mind-blown moment, even though it's not a huge thing. Um, the, the, the idea that uh, Super Smash is the ultimate is the ultimate crossover uh, uh, game in history, in the history of gaming, um, is now starting to be really even more compelling than it was. Like, it's, it's kind of, who else is going to be a character in that uh, season pass? It could be anything at this point. So, and, and when I, I watched it, I wasn't watching it very intently, but of course, when Persona 5's very distinctive art style uh, showed up on screen, I, I stopped, I dropped everything I was doing and watched uh, the screen. And, and I was wondering whether it was going to happen. And when we saw the Smash logo on the, calling, on the card, it was like, oh my God, he's going to be a Smash? What? And, and that's funny. It's really one of those magical moments that happens at reveals and, and at, at those things that fill you with excitement and joy, even though it's not a huge thing, um, that you don't get if it's been spoiled. So that's kind of the things I, I enjoy in those moments, and it definitely delivered with that one. Um, I think that should be about it uh, for all of the, the, the announcement. Let me see if I'm uh, missing one. Let's see. Um, no, I think that's... That's all. Well, there was a tease about Dragon Age. Uh, there was a Stranger Things uh, season three game. Um, Atlas seemed like an interesting game. Oops. Um, it was, well, anyway, it's, it's like the um, creators of Ark Survival Evolved uh, that are behind it. And it's kind of a uh, pirate game MMO survival thing. I mean, it looked more interesting than I'm describing. And uh, I think that that's about it for the game that I think is... is... Um, and if I'm forgetting something, I apologize. I'm sure um, some of you care very much about uh, some of the other things that were announced and uh, I'm not giving it... It's... Oh, we have a date for Rage uh, 2, May 14. 2019. So that's uh, something interesting. Um, all right, let's move on from that and go to more news. Um, so Smash Brothers Ultimate is out. I've bought it. I've played it for a bit. I still don't quite get it. <laughs> it still feels very, um, uh, uh, you know, not very precise to me. Um, I'm going to keep playing a little bit more to at least try and understand what's happening in that game. It's not unpleasant. Um, it's just a different thing. And I guess you need to get used to something different before you can appreciate it. So there's that. Uh, oh, and it's, I mean, obviously, more importantly, it's getting rave reviews. Uh, I think it's the kind of thing where if you like Smash Brothers, it's kind of the appropriately named ultimate version of that. And it's very well realized and delivered. So it's kind of hard not to think it's a very good version of that. If you don't like uh, Smash Brothers, you might pick it up if, you, if you're curious, but more likely you're not going to care. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, a racing game, a Forza. If you love Forza, you're, you might pick it up, uh, the latest version. If you don't, you probably won't, even though you, you should maybe because it's a great game, but it's kind of a niche thing. Uh, not for Nintendo fans, though. Many of them really, 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 really like uh, Super Smash Bro Brothers uh, or Smash. And they're very, very happy right now. I'm very happy that they are very happy. I do need to mention uh, the fact that the Nintendo Creators Program has been shut down. This would be uh, probably one of the big news of the week 
if uh, of of the episode uh, if we didn't have the other ones. I mean, I think it's really significant because it means that the question on whether or not streamers and oh for people who don't know the creators program is that program they put together a couple of years ago to get content creators to uh, be allowed to use their ip meaning you know their games in youtube videos and twitch streams essentially and uh, that program was uh, taking i think 40 percent of the revenue generated by their content so youtube channel or you know the ads etc um, and Nintendo took 40% on top of the 30% that YouTube would take, for example, for uh, the ads. We guess it's 30%. So it was a lot of money that was going in Nintendo's pocket. And uh, they very discreetly announced a couple of days before the release of uh, Smash that, all right, that's going away now. Um, and for those who remember it, at the time, the question of who owned the copyright on those YouTube videos or uh, Twitch streams was a, a real question. Um, was the uh, content different enough from the original to be a, a case of fair use and the content creator would be the owner of that new content? Or was the, the, the original content creator, the game developer and, and publisher, the actual owner of everything because it relied, the content created relied so heavily on uh, the game that it wasn't significantly changed and you know it, w it was still um, the owner the, the property of that uh, developer well no one has followed Nintendo in their folly of <laughs> trying to get I mean I say folly I think um, logically it's a little bit of folly uh, legally they were in their right to do so until the question was settled but it wasn't settled so they were probably in their right to do so um, and now they are the question is kind of moot because no one followed them and no one does it at this point so creators are of course free to uh, generate money in what is essentially a giant advertisement for the game they're playing um, and we didn't, we weren't quite sure how it would impact uh, the games. You know, some people made the, I think, reasonable argument that in at least some games' cases, uh, watching it being played might be enough for some people who would have otherwise bought it. I think in the case of some narrative games, uh, that argument holds water. Um, in some other cases, of course, most other cases, seeing it played makes you want to play it yourself, and so it really is advertisement. But Regardless of those questions, um, Nintendo closing down the creators program kind of settles the debate because no one is currently doing um, this kind of revenue share. And going forward, I doubt that anyone will um, reignite that fire at any point. So going forward, it seems settled that standard practice, um, which I think to an extent becomes the rule, if not the law, is that you can do whatever you want. So that question is settled, and I think that was a significant um, step in that process. And of course, Nintendo did this to make sure that as many as, uh, as many people as possible would stream Smash, which I'm sure uh, they are do stream and do content on Smash, which I'm sure they are um, doing now. So everyone's happy, everything's fantastic, uh, things are great. A few other tidbits of news uh, in the business model department. I think there are a couple of interesting things. Um, Call of Duty Black Ops, we were discussing um, how they could make it more accessible, make the blackout mode, their battle royale mode, more accessible since it was, it was locked in the 60 bucks or full price purchase of Black Ops 4. Well... Uh, Activision has decided to put put out a different version, different edition of Black Ops 4, which doesn't get the zombie mode. It only gets the standard multiplayer and the blackout mode, and it costs 30 bucks, which is a pretty good deal. Uh, arguably, okay, arguably a pretty good deal. So for 60 and, you know, more expensive in Europe, you would get three games, so which each could cost 20 bucks. I think that was, a, a, again, a reasonable way of looking at it. 
And uh, now you get two of them, the two multiplayer focused one, which are both pretty good, maybe even excellent, according to all um, uh, opinions out there, or most opinions out there, uh, for 30 bucks. Um, that seems like a good way of selling more blackout <laughs> uh, modes. And you get the bonus of the standard multiplayer. If you're the kind of person who's interested in multiplayer, it seems like a compelling offer. Um, the only issue, as with every other <laughs> release in the history of the last three or four years, is that uh, you probably won't have time to play it because there are a million games that you need to play. So there's that. Uh, another one talking about business models is Street Fighter V is going to get what is essentially in-game ads. So you're not going to get ads for, you know, your washing detergent. Uh, it's ads for the Cap Capcom Pro Tour, uh, which is their esports event. And it's going to be like in stages on uh, some portions of the uh, characters' um, clothing, mostly the gloves, it seems, by the images we've seen. It's relatively discreet, but still visible. And I'm sure, you know, you're, you're screaming that you don't want ads in your game and uh, curse Capcom for doing that. But wait a second, don't start throwing poop at their windows yet, because you can turn it off. And uh, if you don't, you get some in-game currency. I don't know how much, but you get some in-game currency for having those ads on. So I think it's kind of an acceptable way of doing it. Again, the ads aren't for, you know, uh, your local um, lawyer. <laughs> uh, and it's not for Coke or anything like that. It's for the Capcom Pro Tour eSports event. And you can turn them off. So, and you get something if you have them on. So it's kind of uh, pushing people to be more invested in the community and watching the Pro Tour, which, you know, the eSports is a fun aspect of fighting games. and um, and uh, it's optional. So that seems like an acceptable thing to do. The other thing I wanted to mention was the way Bungie is handling the Destiny 2 season pass. Um, for game as a service, when you add content, there's always an issue of, and especially things that kind of work like MMOs or where there's a, a level of some kind, whether it's a character level or the power level of your gear, when you add new content, it usually means that you make the people who don't have the content irrelevant because you add a certain amount of level. And if, if that's not accessible to the people who don't have your content, then they can't really play with the, the, the major part of the community. Um, so they're segregated. It, it, what they're doing with their season pass and the first... Um, uh, part of it, which is called the Black Armory, is that anyone who has bought the game, who owns Destiny 2, can still get up to the max level, the new max level of uh, gear. Those who buy the Season Pass, however, get additional activities and maybe arguably, you know, additional opportunities to get that max level gear because um, there are, it's often uh, gated between weekly resets. So you only get a certain amount of chances of doing the raid or doing that quest that gives you one item of that higher uh, level that will make your gear progress. Um, so instead of having, let's say, I don't know, three chances, uh, people who have the new, uh, I'm making up numbers, but who have the season pass will have five chances because they have five different types of activities, not just a flat, you get to do this same thing five times, but rather they ha there's a new kind of activity, in this case, the Black Forge, I believe it's called, uh, that also rewards you with, a, with items that might be of that higher level. But if you're, you're playing Destiny, uh, Destiny 2, as you did before, you still have the same things you, ha you had uh, until now. So it seems like a good way of approaching it. And for a game and a company that has made so many blunders in their way of approaching these things, in the past few years, I think it was uh, worth mentioning that in this case, they might be uh, they might have found 
the right balance between um, making as much money as possible and giving, still uh, getting people, uh, letting people keep what they paid for, which has always been a problem with these kinds of games. So there you go. That is uh, frequent updates with the season pass without letting the other people. Uh, because, of course, as I mentioned before, in an MMO like World of Warcraft, of course, you get that you don't get to play the latest at the highest level uh, if you don't have the new expansion and you're left behind. But those expansions come every years. Uh, in this case, in the case of Destiny, um, the, the ELC expansion, season pass, whatever, come like every three months. So, of course, it's a different proposition. Uh, Quake Champions is going to do away with loot boxes and it's going to go to a battle pass. That is probably something that is going to get a, a smile on a lot of people's faces. Um, we've been talking about the fact that battle passes seems to, seem to be the new standard. And uh, that's another indication that they might be. Uh, and when I say the new standard, this is uh, to the, uh, not detriment, but uh, to replace loot boxes. So Quake Champions is going that route. Um, and uh, another big piece of news, Counter-Strike GO, CSGO, is going free-to-play, and it's also adding a kind of Battle Royale mode. It, it's got not 100 players, but um, CSGO is free-to-play. It's You still get a kind of division between if you pay for the premium version, which is 15 bucks, and if you don't. And if you do, that's also pretty clever. Uh, you only get match-made with people who have paid for the premium version. So... You're not, you, there, it's two buckets of players. You're either a free-to-play player and you play only with free-to-play people or you're a premium player and you play only with premium players, which I, I'm guessing there might be an option to um, play with everyone that you can check or uncheck. Um, but it's nice to see that for those who uh, arguably or supposedly or conceivably... <laughs> Um, there might be a different mindset for players who have paid for it and who are uh, traditionally those who have played it and who paid for it before and those who come now who have who are playing it free-to-play and who might not care about the deep mechanics of the game as much. So again, I think this might be a good way of approaching that. And with all, all everything that I've uh, discussed here, um, it seems like the big publishers and big developers are navigating the murky waters of business models a, in a pretty good way. Um, I don't know if you, you guys think that this is not good or not appropriate or still, but I don't really see anything to reasonably complain about uh, in any of this. Um, and and that's kind of a weird thing to say when you're talking about uh, video games and business models and additional content and DLC and uh, ads. I maybe I'm I have rose-colored glasses on, but all of these seem like good deals and and uh, you know things that benefit both the customers and the developer. So, I don't know. I thought that was a, a neat, not even a trend, but amalgamation of little bits of news that was worth uh, exploring. Um, what else? I think we're almost done. Um, there's a new creative, mo creative mode uh, coming to Fortnite, which is pretty interesting. Essentially, a sandbox where you can create your own islands. And again, I, I guess you're tired of hearing it and I'm tired of saying it, but the cleverness with which uh, Epic is managing the success of Fortnite and finding new things to do and new ways to engage their um, players is mind-boggling and absolutely an achievement. So this is just another proof of that. It's a super clever way. Oh, and by the way, uh, in the standard island, um, you get what they call the block, which was announced at the Game Awards, which is essentially... A, um, a feature of one of the things that was created by the players brought into the main game. So that is a, a pretty clever way and interesting way of renewing the fun in the game. And uh, yeah, it's very smart. Very smart. 
Um, Red Dead Online's economy is being revamped. It's cool because people were angry about it. And if you haven't looked into the Red Dead, on, Red Dead Online things, um, I think there are some interesting mechanics that they introduce things like the parlay and feud like if you're being killed by someone repeatedly then you have a choice to parlay which sense essentially you can speak to one another with the proximity mic but also they can't kill you so you kind of stop the griefing or you get into a feud which is um <laughs> essentially also a clever thing it's a, a shootout and you get it out of your system you kill them as much as you can for a few minutes or they kill you, and then uh, supposedly you're done. You know, the feud has ended, and you've gotten it out of your system, and you can part ways. Um, and you, the person being killed repeatedly, so the person are potentially being uh, griefed, have a choice of what to, how to deal with it. So that is a pretty clever uh, game design uh, element that they included. The other one is uh, Battle Royale. Of course, they have a Battle Royale mode, but... It's also relatively um, restricted in the amount of players. I think it's 18, something like that, between 15 and 20. And you get like either uh, a bow and six arrows, and that's it, or a bunch of throwing knives and a regular knife. So it's a twist on the incredibly versatile uh, battle royale idea, which is also pretty interesting in itself. So yeah, that's Red Dead Online. Probably going to be doing very well. Oh, and the economy, the reason was um, you get gold bars to kind of uh, buy stuff that are cosmetic, but also can affect your honor level. And depending on your honor level, you um, you get different missions. Um, and the gold bars were, of course, much too hard to come by. And uh, there were a number of inconsistencies in the world, and they're changing that, hopefully, uh, making it a little bit more reasonable. And uh, and there's also kind of a single-player story that you follow when you create your character. It's, of course, a lot more light than in the single-player game. Uh, a lot more light. But, uh, yeah, other than that, it's Red Dead 2 Online. Um, Sony has uh, uh, deposited a patent application in Korea that is for game cartridges. And one might think, well, why would you ever need game cartridges? Uh, for a portable device, everyone started thinking at once. And that might be the case. It might not be the case, but it's more fun to think what if it was the case, right? So um, I think a lot of people that are tech journalists assumed a few years ago that consoles were dying and that... Most of all, portable consoles were dying. I think us in the in the gaming press, um, and certainly myself, I thought there is room for a dedicated gaming portable device because it's not the same, you know, controls by themselves and the games that are on those devices aren't really the same and don't address the same needs even in the same uh, players. And of course the Switch has come and proven that, yeah, it, it's not only a portable device, but I think portable is part of its appeal um, and proven that, indeed, there is a need for a dedicated gamer portable-ish device. Uh, now, is there room for two of them? Prob maybe not, I don't know. Uh, it would be interesting to see if that is indeed something Sony is looking at what they would come up with because i doubt they would do something that is you know similar to the switch even if it's like yeah you can play the same games they're available on both platforms your home console and your portable console um but i i i don't know maybe there would be a way of making a playstation portable uh interesting again i i thought the psp and the vita were cool devices the issue with those and especially with the Vita was the games um, and maybe they've figured it out and they were good games I'm not saying there weren't but yeah anyway the, the hardware was better than the which was trying to be small versions of the big games and that didn't reach games from uh, oh and apparently the PlayStation Classic is crap 
and I'm not going to delve into it because I don't like those retro nostalgic consoles. Uh, but you can read all about why it's crap in uh, everyone's reviews of that thing because all of them say it's maybe some of them say it's kind of crap, but there's crap somewhere in the in the review probably <laughs> or some euphemism for saying that it's crap. And finally, uh, last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, Cappy Games Below, which is a game all of a sudden everyone sort started talking about because it's coming out on the 14th, so in just a few days. It's been in early... So I think the reason is that it's been in early develop, in development for a very long time, and a lot of journalists have seen it at various stages of the development and were really interested in it. Um, and it wasn't talked about until finally it was uh, announced that it's coming out and coming out very soon. Um, the game is kind of a uh, like a Dark Souls e exploration survival isometric view um, thing <laughs> that looks really nice artistically. Um, it has an indie games vibe, but uh, yeah, I I don't know if it's going to be good or interesting, but it certainly uh, is intriguing in its presentation and everyone in the gaming press who has laid uh, their hands on it is happy to, to finally, finally, quote unquote, get it. Um, I think it's definitely an indie type game. It's not going to appeal to everyone. But um, but it's something that I think uh, everyone is going to want to check out when it comes out in a few days. I, not everyone. A lot of people are going Since it was such a big blast when the release date was announced, I wanted to make And I think that's going to be it. We made it through episode 99. Um, that means next episode is going to be episode 100. And uh, I'm not going to do anything special, but I'm, I want to make it a little bit grand. So understand what you want from that. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going, definitely going to be the Game of the Year show. But um, yeah, we'll see how that works out. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you want more from me, I'm not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, if you want more shows, you can find them at frenchspin.com. Uh, one of them is the Phileas Club, where I talk about, um, well, I, and my guests talk about uh, the news from the world and what's been happening in the world and uh, what we think of it coming from our different backgrounds, different countries, different cultures. And uh, we try to give get different perspectives on uh, events. And I think that's a pretty interesting thing to do. Um, and you also can uh, find my French language shows, Le Rendez-vous Tech and Le Rendez-vous Jeu, which talk about tech news and gaming news. Uh, on frenchspin.fr if you speak French or if you're learning French you might be interested in listening to those to have uh, the language that you're learning or interested in with a topic that you're already familiar with so it might be easy to comprehend and that's going to be it for us we will be back for us for me and we will be back and I will be back damn it I'll manage to do it right one day I will be back with all of my good friends uh, in a couple of weeks for the Game of the Year episode. Talk to you then. Bye.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.